Lord, your, your word tells us that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable to us. And Lord, we want to profit in our hearts, in our souls from your word today. We want it to help us as well as to challenge us. We want it to build us up in trusting Jesus. Holy Spirit, please take the words that you inspired in this letter to the Hebrews and work them into us today that Jesus may be more honoured in our lives. Amen. We're going into Hebrews chapter 4 today. First 13 verses, because actually, um, well, we'll come to that in a minute. Hebrews 4 continues the argument of chapter 3, warning us not to fall away from the living God through unbelief. By the way, chapter and verse divisions were added centuries after the scriptures were first given. They might help us to find our way around like an index, but they often interrupt the context and the passage. Really, they, they, they break it up in ways that are inappropriate at times. Remember, the apostolic writer in chapter 3 has used almost half of Psalm 95 in making the point of comparing his listeners and readers, and therefore us too, to the generation of Israel who rebelled against the Lord in the wilderness, having been brought out of Egypt through Moses. He quotes it three times more in the verses we're looking at today. I'm going to read it through, then work it through bit by bit. So let's start from the last verse of the last chapter, but it isn't really, it's part of the same thing. So we see that they were not able to enter, that is the promised land, because of unbelief. Therefore let us fear, if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly heard, had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature, created thing, hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So continuing on from chapter 3, the writer now adds that the unbelieving generation of Israelites, though liberated from slavery in Egypt, failed to receive what had been promised to them 
because of unbelief. They hardened their hearts, they disobeyed the Lord, and so they did not enter their promised land of plenty, but died in the desert. Now we come back to that with this kind of thought, but God promised, didn't he? Yes, he did. But the last verse of chapter 3 says they didn't see what they didn't enter because of unbelief. Unbelief and disobedience will keep you from receiving and inheriting what God promised. You can fail to receive what God promised because of unbelief, disobedience and rebellion. That generation of Israel did so. They provoked the Lord God of Israel to so much that he said in his anger, in his wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So chapter 4, we have it, starts... Therefore, let us fear. Therefore, let us fear. Some people try to erase fear from the Bible and from our faith. They think fear is an Old Testament thing. It doesn't belong in the New Covenant. They try to use 1 John 5, 1 John 1, 18, perfect love casts out fear like a, like a, a board yeah. eraser yeah. to wipe out everything else in the Bible about fear. But fear plays a part in our faith. Jesus himself told us To fear God. Jesus tells us to do this. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, whether man or devil. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's God. Fear God. And in case you think, well, that's still kind of a bit Old Testament. No, 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 no. Jesus is not just quoting the Old Testament. Here's one example. There's a few I could give you, but for the sake of time, here's one. Here's Peter writing. Honour all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honour the king. Paul writing to the Corinthians says, therefore knowing the fear of the Lord. And the word there is phobos, from which we get phobia. It means fear. Not just awe, not just reverence, it means fear. There are times we need to experience fear, particularly when we're in danger. The person without any fear is not brave, they're disordered. Perhaps a psychopath. We should fear God and we should be afraid of being deceived and hardened by sin. Afraid of falling away from the living God. The warnings here in Hebrews are written for our instruction and help, as much as for those first century Hebrew Christians who attempted by pressure of persecution to deny Jesus and shelter back under Judaism. If we have a right fear of God, we can, we can laugh at anything else. We need not fear anything or anybody else if we correctly fear God. So fear plays a part. Be afraid of missing it. If while a promise remains of entering your rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. What are we to fear here? That having a promise of something, we come short of it. We don't inherit it. We don't receive it. Why? Because of unbelief, which is then demonstrated in disobedience. Notice inheriting promises takes more than memorizing them or writing them down and sticking them in the back of your Bible or putting them up on your fridge door. We inherit promises, and this is something that comes up later on in Hebrews 12. We inherit promises through faith. And faith that prays and obeys and works. You don't inherit a promise just by naming it and declaring it. 
You have to hold on to it and endure in faith and prayer and do the things that are appropriate to that promise as well. For indeed, we've had good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word did, they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. The Israelites had good news preached to them, not the gospel as we know it, but it was good news. Freedom from slavery, a new life, a new home ahead of them. God living among them. But they did not profit from that word. Why? Because it was not mixed with faith in them. Hearing the gospel Sunday by Sunday does not automatically do you good. If you don't believe it, if you don't obey it, if you harden your heart against it, in the end... Hearing it does the opposite of doing you good. Rather than being saved by the gospel, you'll be judged for having heard it and having refused it and disobeyed it. Now, people often quote that verse from Isaiah. So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. But we can misuse that scripture. That scripture is really speaking about God's commands, his decrees, which are unconditional. God says, I'm going to do it. I swear by myself, I'm going to do this. But God made very, very few unconditional promises. Implied in almost every one of God's promises is this, your response of trust and obedience. Even when he was making covenant with Abraham, if you will walk before me and act maturely, I will do this for you. There was... Condition to the covenant. He requires cooperation, the response of faith and obedience. Now I got, just to highlight these promises and responsibility thing, I got an invitation the other day, coming, come to a meeting where prophets are going to declare prophetic words over London. Yeah? They're going to do decree and declare. Well, even if those people speak by the real inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Okay, let's assume that that's the case. Those words of prophecy are conditional upon our response. It won't just happen. We don't get to declare the decrees of God. We de- in prophecy, the New Testament gift of prophecy, the office of the prophet in the church, we get to declare God's promises and proposals and invitations and warnings. And we have to respond to them or they are Worthless to us. We make them of no value if we don't respond to them. We don't inherit those promises without faith, demonstrated in faith, obedience and works. You see, I'm Reformed, I'm what they call a Calvinist, but let let me give you my headline here. We live by faith, not by fate. We are not fatalists. I do not believe the old pop song that was around when I was a little kid. Que Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. That's fatalism. God calls us by the scriptures and by his promises into a life of faith. We keep on trusting him. We keep on praying to him as Andy's example to us already this morning. And keep receiving his answers. We're called to a life of faith, not fatalism. Islam is about fatalism. The will of Allah. It's fatalism. We are Christians. We live by the faith of the Son of God. Yeah. 
For we who have believed enter that rest. We're going to talk about rest. I know Andy talked about rest. We're going to talk about rest. We who have believed enter that rest. Just as he said to them, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. What rest? What rest are we talking about? Well, we'll get there in a minute because scripture takes us there. The point here is this. They were promised something which the Bible labels here rest and they failed to get it because of their hardness of heart, their unbelief, their disobedience. Then it says, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, which I put there twice for some reason. Okay. His works were finished from the foundation of the world. This is... In, a, in part a statement about the sovereignty of God, which is really inescapable in the scriptures. God rules over all, without, without any exception. He is all-wise. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He plans and knows the end from the beginning, and even our sins and failures don't prevent or obstruct his purpose. He is sovereign, God. But this verse also points back to the beginning, to the seven days of creation, which were in fact six days, for on the seventh day God rested from his work and enjoyed the finished work of his creation. His works were finished from the foundation of the world. Does that mean God doesn't do anything? Of course he does things. Jesus said, my father works and I work also. There's there's still things that God is doing. But his work of creation was finished and God rested in his finished work. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day. Somewhere is actually Genesis 2 verse 2, but never mind. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. He rejoiced in his finished works, which was good. Which is why I've come to, to, to believe that Satan fell after that seventh day, because it was good when God enjoyed it on the seventh day. In comparison with God resting on the seventh day, Israel did not enter into their promised rest because of unbelief. They shall not enter my rest. But then scripture says, Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day, saying today, through David, after so long a time, 500 years later, David writes it, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The writer of the Hebrews repeats that they heard good news, but failed to receive what was promised. They failed to enter. And the words unbelief and disobedience in these verses flip around. One first one, then the other one. Why? Because they're always connected. Unbelief leads to disobedience. Why? Because you're not trusting God, so you're not going to trust him, and do, so you're going to choose to do something which is dishonouring to him because you think it's a better idea. You're deceived, therefore you disobey. Your heart is hardened, therefore you won't obey. They always connect together. Because we don't believe the goodness and truthfulness of God and trust his word, we will act disobediently in unbelief. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For some of us, whenever the Holy Spirit speaks to us about today, we answer back with, maybe tomorrow. Today's not good for me. Can I take a rain check on that? We're always putting off obedience to a future time, thinking that's not the same as actually saying no. We're just saying not yet. I have to tell you that God's not impressed with not yet. He just just takes the first two, two letters and it takes it as a no. Tomorrow never comes. Manana. 
soon come, never comes. Today, if you hear his voice, pick up and do it. The Holy Spirit calls us to obey the commands of the Lord today, starting now. It remains for some to enter it, it says. What, what, What does that mean? Well, it means that the next generation who didn't disobey God, who weren't unfaithful to God, and some of them, many of whom had been born in the wilderness and had never known Egypt. They inherited the promise and went into the promised land. Yet even when the next generation entered and took much of the land of Canaan under Joshua, they didn't really enter rest. They were in constant struggle. So it says, for if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. Jesus is greater than Moses. We've done that one, Yes. Well, here, if you've got the King James, it says Jesus is greater than Jesus. It's a bit confusing, isn't it? Because it says that if Jesus had given them rest. No, no, no. You see, modern versions help us by saying, that's Joshua, the first one. right? In Hebrew, it's Yeshua. The first Yeshua in the Bible record, Joshua, couldn't bring them into their rest. They couldn't get all their inheritance. They didn't, they didn't take it all. Because there was still some mixture. But our Jesus, our Yeshua brings us into a full inheritance. Son of God and Son of Man is greater than the one who succeeded Moses. So it says here, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Just as God rested from and enjoyed his completed work of creation on the seventh day, so there is a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Is this rest that Hebrews 4 is speaking about keeping the Sabbath day or the Lord's day? Sabbatarians, including Seventh-day people and those who regard Sunday as the Lord's Day and you know, want to keep the Lord's Day. They think we should be keeping the Sabbath just as Israel did, but that's not the point. The Sabbath was a picture, a shadow. We now have something which is the reality that it pointed to. Now, I do believe that the Sabbath is for us a lesson in this way. Take a day a week out from work to rest. That's good. It's a day of rest, it's not a day of religious duties. Which is why our Sabbath, our day off, is usually a Monday in our household. And I don't accept the idea that the Sabbath was transferred from Saturday to Sunday to become the Lord's Day, so we've got to keep Sabbath on Sunday. There are New Testament scriptures that clearly teach that whether you observe any day as holy and reserved to the Lord is entirely a personal choice and not a matter of obedience. The only principle of Sabbath which we as Christians should follow is the original basic one, in scripture, rest one day in seven. Now, get this. Rest one day in seven. The, if you read in the King James, it's six days thou shalt labor. This is not as few days as you can get away with. You know, it's not, you work for six days and you rest on the seventh. All right? How many of you know that sloth is one of those deadly sins? Laziness, idleness is not honoring to God. We are to work. But then we are to rest. And our rest is blessed to us because we have one. Is this about heaven? Is this rest about heaven? Well, of course we will rest when with Christ. But actually when you read, when you read Revelation, they're not resting that much. They're pretty busy up there. <laughs> you read it sometime. All the things that the saints are doing in heaven. You know, they're crying and they're praying. And all kinds of things. It's like, whoa. But I, I really don't think going to heaven when we die is the promised rest here. The answer is very, very clear in the next verse. The one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Please notice the capital H's. My new American is very helpful here. 
The one who has entered God's rest has himself rested from his works, just as God rested from his works. We enter his rest to rest from our work or works. Think about it here. God rested from his work of creation, rejoiced in his finished work on the seventh day. As I said before when we got to John's Gospel, Jesus rested between the cross and his resurrection, having finished the work of redemption, he rested. According to my counting, it was for two Sabbath days, one special one and one normal one. And nothing he does now adds to that finished work of redemption. It just applies it. He appeals on the basis of his finished work that God the Father will help us and rescue us and so on. The Sabbath was a day of rest. It was introduced as part of the law, the covenant made through Moses. One commandment covered the Sabbath, do no work. When the manna was provided by the Lord for them in the wilderness, they had to gather it on Sunday through to Friday. If they tried to keep any of it over to the second day, it it bred worms and stank, it says beautifully in the Bible. Just so you get the imagination of it. But they gathered twice as much on a Friday, and it kept good to the Saturday, the Sabbath. Lesson, Sabbath means no work, trust God. Not just no work, trust God. When that next generation entered the promised land, what did a farmer do to keep the Sabbath? He fed his animals, yes. But he didn't plough, he didn't sow, he didn't reap, he didn't thresh. But maybe the weather will change tomorrow. No, here's the lesson. Stop your efforts and trust God. Such a rest does not mean do nothing at all. It's not a command to be completely idle and lazy. It's to rest from your self-effort and your self-wisdom and to rely upon God. Whether it's manner, weather, paid overtime, the contract you're in or whatever else, trust God. That's the lesson Sabbath. The real rest for us is to rest in Christ. To rest from our self-works in the grace of God and in the finished work of Jesus. I'm going to hit you with some headlines now. This rest is a rest from our works, our efforts to keep our scorecard with God. Whether it's keeping the law, or if you don't know the law, just your idea of what is good. You know, I'm going to be a goody, goody, goody. I'm going to to please God, so where's my list? Where's my do's and don'ts? You'll always fail doing that. Or you start crossing things off the list. Well, maybe that one doesn't matter so much after all. It's a rest from our works. It's a rest from self-advancement, from ego. I've got to be somebody. I've got to get ahead in the world. From self-righteousness. I've got to be better than them and better than them. Do you know what? When you compare yourself with other people, you're only hanging in two directions. You're trying to make yourself more important or, you, or if you're of another frame of mind, you're making yourself less because you think everyone's better than you. Either way, it's foolishness. Mm. Foolishness. When we compare ourselves with other people, we're going either way, a bad way. Self-advancement and self-righteousness. God hates self-righteousness. It's, it's that kind of thing wrapped up in Phariseeism that Jesus just loathed. Looking down on other people because you're holy. Oh. Performance. Uh, uh, no, no, no. I, I've got to put on good act here. I, I better smarten up. And I want people to think well of me, you know. <laughs> I'm going to knock it over. This is a performance. 
performance, putting on the act, putting on the style. I don't want anybody to know the real me. It's a rest from that. You can be honest. Even be as honest as Andy saying he's still a smoker. Honest? Competition. Now, how are they doing? Competition. You know, there's a competitive streak, not just in men, all of us. It's a rest from guilt, from your sense of having failed. It's a rest from anxiety, the wrong kind of fear. There isn't fear and trust God, it just feels hopeless and helpless, anxious. And he asked the Lord to take it away, he gave him peace. Every time he opened his mouth, and I deliberately asked for it. I've been trying more recently to trust the Lord Jesus as my healer, and I found it's the same thing. I can think it might not be nice if the Lord helped me with that, but, you know, well, it would be nice if he did. But when I ask him, when I ask him, do you know what? He generally does. That's what I'm finding out. I just didn't be more bothered about a few of the things and say, why haven't I asked him about that one? You know, whatever it is. It's a rest from anxiety. Sorry, that was off the topic. It's a rest in Jesus. I could just stop there. All that he is or all that he has done. We rest in him. Jesus said, if you abide in me, that's to live, to remain, and implied in it, to rest. The branch does not hang on to the tree. Oh, don't let me go, tree. (laughs) The tree bears the branch. We rest in Jesus. We rest in the love of God. We're assured of it. We're confident of it. Why? He gave his son for me. We rest in the grace of God, which is to say the supply of his loving help. It's not just the forgiving of my sins. It's the supply of God's gracious help, his grace. We rest in his truth. Therefore, we contend with with deceit. We say, no, that's not true. I know what God says. We rest in his truth and fight deceit and despair and unbelief. We rest in the Holy Spirit who comes as our strengthener, a helper. You know, it might sound to you like to say God is our helper is demeaning him, but he delights in being our helper. He loves to come to our assistance. When we will trust him and ask him and receive from him, God loves to help you. It's called grace. We make nothing for ourselves. We rest in all that he has made for us. We find in Christ our acceptance. We don't need to strive to be accepted. We are accepted in Christ Jesus, in the loved one. We find in Jesus our forgiveness. In him is the forgiveness of sins. In him. We find in him our identity. Oh, people are so struggling for their identity today. There's never been such huge confusion about identity. The BBC doing a series on it and they're going through transsexuals, homosexuals, uh, asexuals. You know, it's, why is identity always about sex even? I don't know. Anything. But there's this huge struggle about identity. I, I don't know who I am. Well, I'm a child of God through faith in Jesus. I know who I am. 
We find in Jesus our identity. We find in him our value. I don't need to make myself more valuable than somebody else or think of myself as less valuable than someone else because I have this unique value that I am bought and washed in the blood of Christ. We find in him our value and we find in him our destiny which has nothing to do with getting famous and being on TV. We don't make or build any of those. We add nothing to any of those. They are all given us in Jesus. Did you get it? We don't make anything. He's made this for us. But it comes with this warning. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same Example of disobedience. Be diligent to live in this rest. Be diligent so that no one will fall, whether you or one of your friends around you. Be diligent in obedience. Make every effort, is what this word means. The Christian life is an active lifestyle. Rest for us does not mean do nothing. Now let me run that by you again, because you may be thinking, you can't mean that, David. Do we work to enter rest? Is that what the Bible saying here? Yes, in a way it does. But it's not working of self-advancement and working of self-righteousness and all those other kinds of things. Look at Peter here. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in him. Spotless, in peace, spotless and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord Salvation. And it's too small to read, but some of you got notes. The work is like this. What we what we're being diligent in is this: to throw off unbelief and disobedience and lay hold of faith and obedience to Christ. To cease from our own efforts, our own works, and rely upon His work for us and in us. And to press on to know Him. And to quote Philippians, to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. We don't make these things for ourselves. Jesus has done it for us. But if I may say this, it's hard work to stop, to cease from self-advancement and self-righteousness and to trust only Jesus. It takes some, it takes some, takes some thought, it takes some focus to say, no, I'm not going there. I'm going to trust Jesus. It takes diligence to enter his rest. So we come back now to the word of God and how it comes to us and how we must meet it with faith to profit from his word. It's only through faith and the obedience of faith that will bring us into his rest. So Hebrews now, to finish our last two verses, says the word of God. Is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God's word is living and active. This is not a dry book of dry words. It is the living word of the living God. The Holy Spirit who breathed it into existence breathes it into us when we hear it, when we read it. The Bible here compares the, the word of God to a sword. The sword of God. It's not the only place that God's word is compared to a sword, but generally we like to think of 
that sword as being in our hands, the sword of the spirit. You know, and all the men imagine themselves to be Braveheart and Highlander and, and Gladiator. Yeah. That's not what this Bible, but the scripture says. Here, that word, that sword, is in God's hand and the person it's cutting is me. Do you get it? This word cuts between my soul and my spirit. It divides my bone from my marrow. It reveals the thoughts and intents of my heart. You're not doing that to some enemy. God's word is doing it to you and me. Does the scripture cut you at times? Sharply challenge you? It's supposed to. It's quick and alive. Everything is laid open and bare before the Lord. God's word reaches us and challenges us. The thoughts of our intents of our hearts are made open. We see in those moments what God already sees, but he needs us to see. Some things are going on that he wants to address. Our love for this world, perhaps. Our love of money. Our heart's disobedience leading to actual disobedience. Now in those moments when the sword lays us bare, not the preacher doing it, God help me, I I don't want to be stamping on anybody, causing you discomfort, but if the word of God finds you in a certain place, we can react in different ways. We can just wait for the moment to pass. We sit rock still, don't even blink. Or we stiffen our necks and our head moves back, we tough it out. Or perhaps our head drops as if we think we can duck under the the searchlight of God's truth or the sword. James uses another metaphor of a man who sees himself in a mirror and goes away and forgets what he's just seen. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror, which I did this morning when I shaved. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not, sorry, next bit, but the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty. Now notice that, that's not old covenant commandments. This is gospel truth. The perfect law of liberty. And abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. So it's not about, oh, thank you, pastor, that word really challenged me. Well, okay, I ought to answer, so what are you going to do about it? (laughs) So you saw yourself in the mirror, go. Yeah, well, what's what's your plan of action? What's your to-do list now? It's not enough to hear, nor even enough to be cut a bit by it. It's, where's the plan? What do I do? I love it in the scriptures when it says they were cut to the heart and cried out, what do we do? What do we do? See, that the word of God there, cut them to the heart. But the reply was, hey, what do we do now? Reading or hearing God's word is not enough. We're called to be doers. We are dealing with God, him with whom we have to do. And the issues on which he challenges us, I have to tell you, are not going to go away. They will come back. Why? Because you've got this really awkward preacher. No, no, no. (laughs) Well, maybe. 
The reason the challenge will come back is this. He is our father and he is raising sons to become like his son and he disciplines and directs and corrects everyone whom he loves. There's only one wise route. Believe him. Trust him. Obey him. That is the way of wisdom and strength and security. Now, of course, the enemy will tell you otherwise. He only tells lies. Do you get that? He he only speaks lies. So when you get the contrary voice coming, you, you just have to raise straight away, you're a liar. You're allowed to do that, you know. You're a liar. I even say that to people who phone me up and tell me there's a problem with my computer. <laughs> Mr. Evan, Mr. Evans? Evans. No. Yeah. Mr. Evans, you have a problem with your computer. Oh, really? What computer is it? Well, I'm not sure about the make, but it's, got a, it's a Windows PC. I say, liar. They go, what? I say, you're a liar. I don't use a Windows PC. I use a Mac. Goodbye. <laughs> I call them out. You're a liar. How much more should I tell the devil? You're a liar. Stop trying to deceive me. I know what God's word says. Whatever he says to you, said Mary, about Jesus, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. Is it dealing with your love of the world or love of money? Is it dealing with tithing and generosity? Is it putting away sinful and harmful habits? Is it about... Organising your time better so you, 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 you engage in fellowship and in the communion of the saints. What, where is it that God's word cuts you open? Now the thing is, God doesn't stitch you back, you do that. Oh, no, 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 that, 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 no, I don't like that. Sorry for the sound on the mic. God wants you open so he can thoroughly deal with it, but Arif is, oh, I don't like being cut open there. But God's word, so long as you keep reading it, hearing it, he's going to come to you again and again because that's what he's into, raising a child. The challenge is not going to go away, but you know what? You might go away to avoid the challenge. People did it when they heard Jesus. They went away when they heard this. You read it a number of times in the Gospels. They, when they heard this, they went away. Disobedience will cause us to miss the promises of God and fail to enter into his rest. If I may say to you, disobedience leads to a missed destiny. I'm not saying loss of salvation. I'm saying a missed destiny, a missed purpose. I want whenever I can to come back to the words of the Lord Jesus. So we're going to do that now. Andy mentioned it. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, that's a wonderful promise from Jesus, but he doesn't say, come and lie down over here and I'll give you a cushion. It's another kind of work you need, rather than the work that's made you tired. It's put my yoke upon you and learn from me. Get close up with Jesus and learn his ways, learn his heart. I'm gentle and humble in heart. I'm not trying to prove myself. I'm not being competitive. I'm, 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 not, I'm not egotistical. He says, when, when you learn to live the way that I show you, you'll be in rest. 
My yoke is easy and my burden is light. This rest is not to opt out, kick back, fall over. It's to live close to the Lord Jesus and to walk with him. It's a rest from, as I said before, our works, our self-advancement, our self-righteousness, our performance, competition, guilt, anxiety. It's to rest in him, live and remain in him, to trust him, to obey him. We're to be diligent, urgent, active in living and remaining in Jesus, trusting him, obeying him. Life and strength flow to us from Jesus when we abide in him and when we keep his commandments. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. So if the one I'm carrying isn't, I'm carrying the wrong one. I'm making the wrong choices. There's a rest that he promises if I will obey him. If I'll submit to him. If I'll bow my heart and say, Lord Jesus, I want to learn of you. I want to learn from you. You who are gentle and humble in heart, teach me. Your yoke, Lord Jesus, is easy. Your burden is light. I'm going to pray together. and uh, If we can, we'll find some people to serve at communion this morning. Um, we have a list, but not everybody who's on the list is here, so we're just going to find some people to come out. While we're doing that, let's pray together. We thank you, Lord, that your word says there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. You haven't locked it up into one day. You want us to live every day. As those who are resting from our own efforts, resting from our own wisdom, resting from our own anxieties, resting from our competitiveness and all the rest of it, and relying upon you but being very diligent in what you show us, what you teach us, how you direct us. Not lazy and opting out, but doing everything you show us, because when we do that, we find your grace, we find your help, we find strength. Your yoke is never hard. Lord Jesus, you call us to yourself, to be close to you. And all you want from us is an obedient heart a trusting heart. And you will do all the rest. You will supply every bit of wisdom we need. You'll supply to us every bit of courage we need. You'll supply to us the words we need in difficult situations. For you are always the life giver. Holy Spirit, you are always our strengthener and our equipper. I pray we may be diligent. Make every effort to take hold of this rest that you so graciously promises. And keep our hearts from unbelief which leads to disobedience, we pray. Help us as we seek to encourage our brothers and sisters around us as well. We don't want to inherit while we see others miss it. We want to take all our friends with us on this journey. Following Jesus together. Now, Lord, would you please bless us in this time of remembering you in bread and wine, your broken body, your poured out blood. For these symbols, again, preach to us this gospel, that we are gods through Christ, his Son. 
We are children of God through the sacrifice of Jesus. Lord, we are your children, dearly loved, and yet you have a very real purpose for us, and therefore you will not give up on your fatherly direction and correction to us. You're making us like Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen.